Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Tonight, I would like to introduce my dad, Carlos, and ask a couple of questions to see how is life in Cuba. Papa, can you tell us a bit the place that you were born and what happened almost immediately? Sí, nací en una Cuba bella, próspera, conocida como la perla de las Antillas, pero todo cambió para mal con una revolución que en 1959, liderada por los comunistas, los hermanos Castro y el Che Guevara argentino, nos robaron la patria, la libertad y la vida. So I, I was born in Cuba with this known as the Pearl of the Caribbean Sea. It was a beautiful and wonderful country, really prosperous and looking forward. But in 1959, with the Cuban Revolution, led by the Castro brothers and Che Guevara from Argentina, our country changed completely. This revolution took our freedom, our fatherland, and our life. Comenzaron los años conocidos en Cuba como los años de la barbarie. Juicios sumarísimos, fusilamiento, encarcelamientos con condenas extremas. Mi suegro estuvo preso solamente por haber sido policía y por estar en contra del comunismo 19 años en Cuba. La iglesia no escapó. La iglesia, junto con el pueblo, perdió sus propiedades, sus recursos económicos. Los pastores fueron expulsados, los españoles, los bautistas fueron presos. So let me translate all of that now. <laughs> so Cuba, sadly, with the triumph of the revolution, the life changed completely. And we came to this season that it was a barbaric season for the country. Murders were done right, left, and center. People in Cuba were put in jail. Even my father-in-law, just because he was a constable for the previous government, he was put in jail for 19 years. The church wasn't able to escape this barbaric situation. All the properties were seized by the government. The pastors from the Catholic Church that were from Spain were expelled out of the country, and the Baptist Association got his number diminished completely. So, Carlos, in the midst of all of this situation, how was life for you growing up, and what does having a faith imply? Mi familia también sufrió. Mi hermano mayor eh, tuvo que abandonar la universidad presionado, y luego vinieron las famosa Humat, donde metieron a los cristianos junto con los antisociales y los que ellos mismos habían expulsado de las escuelas. Y se enfermó de los nervios con 10 electrochocs. Y hoy está en la presencia del Señor. 
So our family wasn't left in free. Musafot had different problems. Um, my my uncle, brother of my dad, and was part and studying the university was pressured to leave university. Then the government decided to put all the Christians into the UMAP. Then they were concentration camps with the uh, antisocials, the homosexuals, and the people that the government didn't want. During this time, my brother was tortured, received electroshocks. He got sick in the nerve. Um, Praise the Lord now. He's in the presence of God. So, Carlos, how did you become a Christian? And what implication had that for your life? Yo pude estudiar a pesar de las presiones de que tuve que abandonar una escuela presionado por un profesor de marxismo que no entendía que... Eh, un cristiano, el, el, la revolución se gastara los recursos en un cristiano. Eh, pero finalmente negué mi fe, eh, lo digo con pena, para poder trabajar como ingeniero electricista para el Estado. So, uh, I, was, I was able to study and keep my faith short for, for a while. But then it got to a situation in university when one of the professors of Marxists uh, thought like he couldn't understand why the Cuban Revolution will waste money and resources in a Christians. Due this pressure is with shame, then I have to confess that I deny my faith in order to be able to work as an electric engineer. Trabajando. Eh quedé electrocutado, sentí que, que moría y que estaba condenado. Clamé al Señor, le pedí una segunda oportunidad y me libró. Eh, busqué una Biblia, la leí, conocí a Cristo verdaderamente y ya no lo negué más. So during this time working as an electric engineer, I got caught in, with an electric cable. And as I was attached to an electric cable, I felt like my life was going away. I prayed to the Lord, asking him for a second opportunity. He freed me. I searched for a Bible. I started reading the Bible and reading the word, the words of God. I discovered Jesus. And I made the decision to never deny him again. So, with that decision of don't denying Jesus and being a Christian openly, what happened to you? Eh, me, me quitaron mi trabajo, me mandaron a una empresa de más baja categoría y eh, me hicieron la vida imposible. So, being a Christian meant for me that I lost my job. I was demoted to a factory with nothing. Um, they basically made my life impossible. So, Carlos, that was the reality of most of Cuban people. But in 1990, with the fall of the Soviet Union and this situation back here in Europe, do, do that have an implication for Cuba? Sí, Cuba, un satélite de la Unión Soviética con la de Blackley que hubo en 
todo el socialismo se quedó en el aire y hubo una crisis profunda económica, política, social y el pueblo empezó a venir a las iglesias a buscar consuelo. So with the, with the fall of the Soviet Union in, in the early 90s, Cuba and the situation in Cuba that was known as a satellite of the Soviet Union was completely transformed. Cuba became into a long period of poverty, socioeconomical difficulties, and most of the people in Cuba with this lack of resources, with this lack of hope, started coming back to the church. El Señor cumplió... Eh, la segunda parte de mi petición me dio una oportunidad para predicar el Evangelio. Eh, eh, me llamó al ministerio en la plantación de iglesias en casas, casas cultos le decimos en Cuba porque el gobierno no las reconoce como iglesias. So, in, in this time, God gave me a second opportunity. I received the call to serve Him as a pastor to preach the word and to start planting churches in houses. These are known in Cuba as casa cultos because the government do not recognize this as a church. Dios estaba uh, eh, obrando en medio de la crisis un avivamiento en Cuba. So in the midst of this crisis, God was working for a revival in Cuba. This revival in Cuba lasted for around 10 years. But in the early 2000s, there was another change, this time in Venezuela, that also made an impact in Cuba. Con el, la subida de Hugo Chávez, el hijo espiritual de Castro en Venezuela, pues eh, el apoyo económico que le dio a, a Cuba hizo resurgir la persecución porque volvieron a coger fuerza y arremetieron contra la iglesia pero cambiaron los métodos so during during this time with the venezuelan uh, hugo chavez being in power and the uh, hugo chavez was the spiritual son of fidel castro and so he was pumping money into the island and then the government fell in power again they started persecuting the church again and this time they changed the methodology for persecution Manipularon eh, con la economía a, a los líderes del de Consejo de Iglesias de Cuba, lamentablemente, eh, lo convirtieron en un, en un organismo que controla, eh, el gobierno controla eh, la mayoría de las iglesias en Cuba a través de este instrumento que está al servicio ahora del gobierno. So the government seized the opportunity and they created this Council of Churches in Cuba. And this Council of Churches in Cuba is controlled by the government. They are the voice of the government. And during this time, sadly, most of the churches of Cuba have been suddenly being moved to this council and being controlled by the government. The persecution was incrementing, but last year, On the 11th of July, there was a major turning point in the island. What happened and what are the implications of that for you and the rest of the Christians? Sí, el domingo 
11 de julio del año pasado, eh, comenzaron manifestaciones populares espontáneas en casi todos los pueblos de la isla. Se fue regando como, como pólvora y eh, al gobierno se le cae la careta. El dictador Díaz-Canel pone en cadena toda la televisión nacional y llama a los comunistas y a los revolucionarios al combate, a tomar las calles. Estaba llamando a una guerra civil a los cubanos. So last, last uh, year on the 11th of July, there was a manifestation in Cuba that used to spray like, like fire all over the place in Cuba. During this time, many people just came out to the streets to claim for freedom, for life. So the dictator in Cuba, this time is called Diaz-Canel. He went into national television and called all the communists, all the people in favor of the government to go and fight the Cubans. He called people to a civil war. Habían, habíamos retrocedido a los años de la barbarie. Empezó la represión, los palos en la calle, la sangre, buscando a las personas dentro de las casas. Ahí están los videos, los pueden buscar en internet. Las avispas negras asesinaron a personas indefensas dentro de sus propios hogares y frente a su familia. Los pastores que eh, llamamos el, al pueblo a, a no obedecer esas órdenes a no derramar la sangre de sus hermanos fuimos rápidamente marcados como los líderes de la contrarrevolución so the, the, the government the government decided and it was time to take control again so for, for us was like going back to 1959 the government started abusing, torturing, killing people. They went inside their houses and killed the people in front of the kids. They start putting people in prison. There was blood all over the place. The special forces of Cuba were just attacking, killing, destroying. Pastors like me that were calling for peace, that were calling for the people in our congregations to dome, fight, to love, we were called the leaders of this manifestation. We were targeted and put a price to our heads, and the government went for us. So what happened? And how did you end up in here? Mi esposa tuvo que, como representante de la Convención Bautista, que llevar una carta de protesta al Comité Central. Ahí la detuvieron, y luego que intervino una persona amiga, eh, la, la presionaron para que se pusiera a favor del gobierno y ella le dijo que la lealtad de ella y mía era solo a Cristo y a la palabra de Dios. Ese día le dijeron que estaba eh, amenazada, ya no tenía protección. So during this time, my, my wife, as the representative of the Baptist Association in Cuba, uh, took a letter to the Central Committee of the Communist Party. She's demanding to the government to stop the killing, to stop the torture. She was detained 
and Ephraim came and precise her and say, are you for this government, are you going to be loyal to us? To what my wife say, myself and my husband, we are only loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. To what the reply was, you have no protection. This is the end of the road. Tuvimos entonces que escondernos hasta poder salir de Cuba y aquí estamos. So we have to hide until the opportunity was made for us to be able to leave Cuba. And we are here. Do you think you will ever see Cuba again? No, no creo. No. So, just, just, just to close, what do you think is going to happen to the church in Cuba and how the good people in here can pray for it? Eh, oremos por Cuba. Eh, como dice el pasaje de Ezequiel, vivirán estos huesos. Señor, tú lo sabes. Just, just pray from, for Cuba. Like Ezekiel call to these bones will be alive. Just pray. Pray for us. Thank you. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.